Hello. Where's Ella Guano? Hi. Hi. Oh, it's like being in a very welcome pub. Hello, Robin. How are you? Okay, I'm going to wave this fantastic book in the air. There it is. Look at this beauty, beauteous thing. I hope you can all see it. What a wonderful book this is. Believe in Magic, Heavenly Records, the first 30 years, which I enjoy as an assertive phrase. The first 30, 30 more to come. That's what I'm saying. Um, it's a fantastic book, and I know that... Um, well, I, don't, I imagine it was enjoyable to compile. Uh, uh, you know, please tell me if it, if it wasn't, but uh, I imagine it was enjoyable to compile um, and involves quite a lot of um, elements. It's not just interviews. It's essentially 30, um, 30 releases that you've chosen to highlight and then interviews around that, but also some fabulous kind of uh, photos, ephemera, uh, ephemera, uh, as well as all the recollections, it's a it's a it's a chunky feast, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's as you said, it was thirty things for thirty years. It was because rather than go right, okay, let's let's deep dive through every single thing and go, you know, we would have it would have been a long, 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 long book, and it's you see, pretty thick as it is. Um, and so the idea was then just do thir pick thirty things out of the thirty years, and they could be records, they could be events, they could be people who, if they've got a catalogue number, they can be in there. That's why there's a chapter on our hairdresser. Um, and, and, or they could be clubs because we've, that's, we've done an, a, a lot of that in the past as well. So it kind of started to build a picture of what is actually a kind of community and a family and, a, and you know, we've, I think we've always thought of Heavenly as being a bit of a feeling um and that putting it together that really did hammer the point home it's like it's it's not just a single with a catalog number it's a you know it could be anything and that and the book hopefully says tells you that shows you that it definitely does i mean it's like you know for for um some of us that have been in uh london around the same times with heavenly records it's like a kind of weird in and out of your own history as well there's bits where i'm kind of like oh yes i remember and then there's bits i knew nothing about and it's just it's um it's an excellent kind of recollection i want to ask you jeff what it's like going through these things because obviously you know it's it if it's anyone's history, it's your history. This is a family, this is a story of a family, but the family is based really around you. How does, how was it to go through all this history, given that you're still, you know, obviously like all of us, you're still working, you're still looking forward. So sometimes to look past to back can be quite tr tricky. Yeah, um, I, I, I didn't really, I let Robin, Robin do it. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it's Robin's. It's Robin's book. I mean, I, 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 I do think about tomorrow, you know, and um, and 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 we crack on like that. And 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 I've always been quite. I don't know the the, the thought of doing the book. It's been mooted a couple of times. The book, and um, I've, I've just kind of like run off whenever it's been mentioned because I just say, oh God, you know. I mean, the, I know there's really great memories there, and. and Okay, listen, answer your question. It's been really lovely actually seeing it and reading it. I've been I've been touched by the response to it. And there's a lot of things in there that I've forgotten that I'm really happy to have been reminded about. And and I I I've also been really, really, really made up um by some of the kind things that, that people we've worked with over the years have said. 
um, and and uh, to hear that people have had a good time being involved with us, whether it was for a short period of time or whether it's for a longer period of time. Um, and that's been really moving and really, really lovely that we've pulled something off that's that's touched every people that have been around us, you know. I mean, we only, it was, you know, I didn't know we were going to be here for 20 years, 10 years, you know, never mind 30 years. So there's a lot of people in the story. It's not just me, you know. Uh, no, there's a, there's, it's a space for many people. And I want to bring uh, Gweno in here because you are one of the many people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I wanted to talk to you, I suppose, as an artist, really, because as an artist, you have there are various options to you in in the way that you can make music or choose to have it put out there and i i suppose i just wanted to ask you why heavenly why what was it about heavenly that you liked because initially obviously you you put stuff out on with, with graffiti and and so what brought you this way to this these areas um i think it's always fate and i think that there's that's the kind of feeling around Heavenly as a label, really, is I, you know, it so happened, um, we had a label in Cardiff, an indie label called Pesky, we put our records out there first, me and my husband, um, his label, and then we were wondering what to do next, um, we were spotting Griffiths, we met Jeff in a pub through Toy, and it was just, you know, he's like, yeah, I really love this record, it's great, and then that was it, really, so there was never any kind of, um, I always feel like it's a fate that brings people together and that's a, that's the feeling that I, I got from reading the book as well it's like a lot of chance happenings spark off these amazing things and it's just a matter of people getting together and getting stuff done um, and it just felt like that, that. that's yeah. the title of the book that's the title of the book believe yeah. in magic yeah you know um we believe in magic as fans and I'm a fan, you know, and when I heard Gwen's record, this self-release record, I, I needed to get in touch and find out more about who'd made this wonderful thing. Um, and I did, and it so happened that, you know, they were coming to London and I met, we met up and I just met two amazing inspirational people and then watched this incredible show. And at the end of the tour with Griff, they'd sold out, Gwen and Reese had sold out of everything that they could afford to make. Um, and so, that meeting then led to the conversation about, well, shall we license it from you and press some more records then? Yeah. And and that's, that's I, I'd, I'd like to think that um, we're still considered fans, uh, 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 the artists and the, the and does a lot, you know, the, the non-artist part of it, that we follow our instincts and it's the music that leads us. Yeah, I think that's very true. I mean, it's, a, you, you know, it is, I don't know. I don't like to use the word eclectic because that always sounds like there's no taste involved. Do you know what I mean? But there's right, yeah. there's definitely strong taste involved in Heavenly. But it's not. There are so many different types of music, different sorts of bands on there that it's 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 harder to categorise than a lot of other labels. I think. Um, one of the things I was really struck with, um, Robin, is that 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 you you know you you write a really beautiful opener to it, and I know from grim experience how hard it is to write about music <laughs> and it can be it can be very tough and there's some beautiful um there's a beautiful sense of place that you bring to a lot of your bits of uh, bits of writing in here and, and one of the things i wanted to talk a little bit about was you know you open it with a scene in 
you know, it's in heavenly office, what the office is. And I'm particularly want to talk about this. I mean, I know it sounds a bit grim because we're like now in COVID and we're all in different bits and it's a bit like, I mean, we're doing fine and there's elements that are great, but that sense of a place to go is really strong in, in, in the book, I think. And I wanted to unpick that a little bit, really. I mean, you know, you can tell me many anecdotes about and things that went on in that office, but it's a, the point of having that space is really important, isn't it? Yeah, I, 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 I think, and I hope this, I think this comes across in it. I think, I think that the thing with the office and, you know, we used to use the office, the office was like a clubhouse um, and it was brilliant because it was, you'd go in and, you know, <laughs> you'd go in on a Monday Jeff would have finished his work by 10 in the morning. <laughs> if you need, because Jeff said Jeff doesn't sleep, Jeff wasn't sleeping particularly well at the time. So he'd be, he'd be in the office by six or seven, would have done everything. And then if you needed a meeting with Jeff, he'd quite often go, go on, let's go to the pub. And you're thinking, I, I, I can't go to the pub at 11 o'clock. I've got few moral codes in my life. One of them is don't drink before midday. Whereas... Jeff, Jeff's like, hey, come on, go to the pub. And then, then the, the day would spiral and spiral and spiral. And the office would be like this kind of attractor. It would be bringing in people, all sorts of different people, people from record companies, people from magazines, you know, mates who worked at Q or the NME or, you know, and, they, and bands and then just random people who were mates of mates. And, and quite often that's where lots and lots of things got done, you know you'd be playing records and then you'd see people's reactions to them. You know, great, great memories of things like Black and White Town by Doves, just putting it on and people just like, what the, you know, just That's so amazing. play it again, play it again, play it again. And you're like, okay, this is a hit. That, and it's a funny way to, you kind of like crowdsourcing ideas of how, you know, how you kind of get a real feel for what might actually work. And, and, and people kind of like, how did you ever get anything done? And how did you work? And you think, we didn't know any different. And so we got everything done. And you think, there was, you know, we, that was the way that we worked because, I know Jeff's just disappeared. Yeah. Um, that, was the, that, that was just the way that it worked. And, you know, we, it, it did work. You know, things got done, records got put out. You didn't have any problems with, you know, it wasn't like, um, you know, it wasn't like, you know, you got smashed on a Monday and then for the rest of the week, nothing happened and everything fell apart. Everything worked, you know, and it just, it was just our way of doing things. And it just, you know, I kind of, you know, people were like, how do you manage to get things done? It's like, well, how do you manage to do anything? Sat in, you know, sat in a corporate block where you have, you know, you kind of like windowless office or, you know, office with air con and no music and... yeah. I don't know you know it's it was just the way the way it worked for us it's interesting that you said about is it like the conversation about it which is something to do with um uh, with the whole th with what Jeff just said before if you have an environment where you can have a conversation about music then that is obviously going to that that is where you're going to you're going to spark off and there's a conversation almost between bands quite often actually mm. you know between the, you know there's a kind of conversation especially it, it, yeah. maybe in the earlier stages the, the bands are kind of talking to each other as well and it's you know that's epitomized by, by the social actually yeah. you know that there's a that there's a an environment where people go that they even more have this 
amazing conversation about music that's going to lead on to other things. Yeah. Jeff, I mean, I don't want you to disappear again, Jeff. So I'm very, uh, I'm just going to quickly gra grab you. Don't disappear. No. No. But there's a, <laughs> there's a bit at the beginning that it's like a, your history before coming up to, coming up to Heavenly. Yeah. And one of the things that, um, that you know, this, it, it's a great story, but one of the things that um, I was really struck by was that um, you said that a lot of what you were doing was reacting against um, your parents and not in a kind of, um, like, not in a kind of punk fuck you way, but they were, they were really lovely parents, but their life was quite boring. And you, you, mm. you essentially went out to look for something else. And I think this is so true of people who like music, that they love the environment that they're in, and that, you know, maybe they come from a, a tough background, maybe they don't, but there's something that they're looking for and they don't know what it is. And they scrubble around until they find it in music. Yeah, uh, I was six, I grew up six miles outside of Nottingham on, an, uh, on a, on a post-war estate. I could just hear it, it was calling me, you know, it was just, it was that. I knew that somewhere, I, I you know, I, I had a big brother who, who was quite mysterious in his absence as well. Um, but you know, mum and dad were quite old when they had me, and um, it, they weren't sociable people. They were really hardworking people who'd been through the war, and they they really were grafters. And um, and it just that you know they didn't have friends. You know, they worked, and um, mm. I, I just it wasn't for me. I, I you know I just I just knew that there was something out there which was more colourful, and um, and the minute I got a whiff of it, I was kind of you know I was kind of gone, man. You know, you know. <laughs> So, you know, I found that record shops were um, places of, of learning, you know. Um, I met kids from different parts of town, like-minded people with similar shoes or haircuts. And, <laughs> uh, and it was great. And it took me out of school. It took me out of home, you know, and it gave me this, this new world. Uh, when, and, then, and then, you know, when punk did happen, I was sort of 15 and 77. It was it was incredible, you know. The town was where I, I stayed, really. Yeah, and, and you walk to London as well, really. It's just that follow the music, don't you? You follow the music, you're gonna meet, you're gonna make friends. <laughs> I think yes, I think this is very true. I think this is constantly underestimated when people talk about nightclubs. They think it's all about. I mean, obviously there is an element of getting trashed and and uh, and trying you know trying to pull or something, but actually it's where you meet people that like the same things that you do. And yeah. it's yeah. it's like that's how you how you do how you do it really. Yeah, um, well, that's I mean the nightclub analogy is correct. I mean that's where I met uh, Andrew Weatherall, who you know is a constant throughout the book and has touched all of our lives. Gwen was remixed. Gwen, he was a good friend of Robin's, a very dear friend of mine. I managed him for many years. Um, yeah, and he uh, was on the first ever. He was the first ever release as well. It, well, yeah, I mean, you know, that first ever release, uh, HVM One was uh, a house track called "The World According to" by Sly and Love Child, and mm. uh, the Sly part of Sly and Love Child. Oh no, hang on, no, the Love Child part, the boy, uh, <laughs> was he was the keyboard player in Flowered Up, and he made this track which had a ton of promise, but it really did need uh, my new mate Andrew to actually turn that promise into something that. You know, brilliant, something brilliant, which is what he did. Um, but we, let, you know, let's we forget as well. And Andrew, Andrew wrote about the rocking birds for the face. That's how right. You, how, yeah. do you, how do you get? How do you get? How do you get some gnarly country and western dudes from Camden? Into <laughs> <laughs> gnarly <laughs> western dudes. You're right, hack. <laughs> 
yeah, yeah. it's so true. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, um, like, it sounds a bit weird, but about the inspiration of other labels as well. So, uh, because obviously, um, uh, Jeff, your first uh, job was with Creation, and you were also influenced by the Hacienda, by Factory, and all those kind of things. One of the things I wanted to say to you is, like you lasted it's so hard <laughs> you know yeah. you were in, you can be influenced by these things but heavenly lasted so i want to kind of I, I ask you i suppose what you took from the from those labels and how you managed to last because that is difficult okay so taking some from labels so so the influence of other labels probably subconsciously started for me when i was in my late teens and i got really into postcard records uh, which was new and also zoo records out of liverpool which yeah. was putting out teardrop explodes it was a, a group i really loved and you could uh, you know through being an avid reader of the music press um uh for, for a long time you know i'd read these stories and these myths and these legends of these people behind these labels these personalities like alan horn at postcard and especially bill drummond at, at zoo who you know has been a pretty much a lifelong inspiration really a, a, a brilliant man um but I never knew that I would start a record label. Just being a fan of those labels did not make me want to have a record label. I had no idea how you would ever have a record label. I didn't think it was possible or doable. It didn't even cross my mind, you know? I mean, I just wanted to work in a record shop. I thought that was the be all and the end all. Because really, because first of all, because I'd meet like-minded people and also because I could get records before anybody else. Until I realized that there was a before then. And then before <laughs> You, know, you can like help create the records. <laughs> that's why I started one, so I could get them before anybody. You know, <laughs> really, anybody. So I was constantly trying to get to the source. But no, I, I, yeah, I was lucky that um, I did get that job in a record shop and I worked in record shops for a bit. And then uh, I was in Plymouth in Devon in 1985 and 84, 85, and I was putting on groups. And I was a big fan of uh, the early creation releases. And um, I'd been in the shop and I rang Alan McGee, well, I rang a number on this um, sort of sales sheet that was in a Creation Records test pressing. And I rang it up and uh, it was Alan that answered the telephone. And, and I told him that I was moving back to Plymouth and I was gonna put groups on and could have booked some of his groups. And there was this silence in the end of the phone. And uh, he actually asked me if I was taking the piss. And, 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 <laughs> and, 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 and you know any sort of nerves I had at that point were, dissolved and um i said why would i be bringing you to take the piss and he said because i put those groups in london and nobody comes you know so he liked me he actually as, said uh, no cunt comes as far, as far as i remember that's the quote no anyway yeah that's what he said <laughs> and um so so he thought well i said well I, i'm up for it should we give it a go and, and 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 so i did and i got to know him he invited me up to London to see a really early Mary Chain gig at a pub called The Three Johns. And anyway, I put Mary Chain on in Plymouth. It led to him offering me a job in 1985, and I went to work for him. And that was uh, insane, really, because he was mental and brilliant and a force of nature like I'd never witnessed before in my life. And um, he spurred me on. There was no job description necessarily. You know, it was just get on with it. And <laughs> some of it I failed at, and some of it, like press, doing press, uh, I succeeded that, and um, I think you know the reason I succeeded at press. Well, first of all, thanks to Alan for giving me those opportunities with no rules, but also the you know the fact that, like I said earlier, I was an avid reader of the music papers. I loved the enemy. I mean, the enemy was really genuinely, you know, people are watching this going, yeah, here he goes, you know, old bloke with 
then you, you know, the, the enemy as Bible, but it was, you know, especially when you weren't in London. It, was, it really was a, 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 um, a important. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's sorry, I'm going to interrupt here because I want to actually okay. bring Robin in this because I think that press is really interesting. So for me, I met you first as a press officer, Jeff, actually, yeah. when you were doing the Happy Mondays. Yeah. And um, so kind of, you know, pre pre label, I suppose, really, oh, around the same time as the label started. And um, I think it's knowing what how to do press properly is really important for mm. for anyone, but also especially for Heavenly. Weirdly, you were always really good at press. Well, Robin, is right. it because you respected it? <laughs> what do you think, Robin? Yeah, yeah uh, I let him answer because he still did. Robin still does press brilliantly. So yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I I I think it. I think Jeff's. You know, I learned everything from Jeff, so I'm going to pass the credit back to him. But it, you know, I I think it's. A friend of mine, um, uh, Ted Ted Kessler, who um, edited Q, was. I remember him saying to me about how he said to me once about how we Jeff. He was going, you know, it was, when I was talking about getting back into press, he was like, "It's brilliant," because I'd, I'd had a few years away from doing it, and he was like, "Oh, that's brilliant," you know, because you like you and you know, like Heavenly and stuff. You know, the thing that you you understand the story, you know, you understand how mm -hmm. how a story works, and it's kind of, and I think. You know, you can't always get that with 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 press, but the things that really work are things where it's almost like you're seeing it in kind of multi dimensions as you're doing it, and you're like, oh right, of course, because that piece can go there. And I mean, perfect, perfect, perfect example is is Gwen's record, Lakov. You know, you like that that you just go, you can see it. It's almost like you know, it's like one of these films where you've got somebody who's slightly eccentric and they're like digital things coming, like Sherlock or something, like, oh, that, 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 and that. <laughs> <laughs> or like those crime scenes, you could do yeah. the little lines like that. <laughs> I know, that's The Office on a Monday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> People going, where were you? Hmm, you were spotted over here. <laughs> <laughs> where are those I'll cut off. Um, but yeah, so, you know, if, it's, if, if you can, that, that I think is, is sometimes is this, you know, if you, You've got to be lucky with that, though, you know, with, with things where the story is kind of writes itself for you. You know, it's you, you can see it there. Um, yeah, that's I think that's the secret of, of really good. You know, saying you know, match Jeff through the Mondays. I mean, what better story was there until, you know, until the story went bad. It's like, oh, I didn't see that. I didn't read that chapter. Yeah. But then even then, it's still a story. <laughs> <laughs> so look, I feel like we should talk about some of the um, the, the bands that's, that are, are talked about on in the book, and I feel it like we should definitely talk about the Manics because obviously, I mean, I'd like to talk to you about the Manics as well, Gwenna, because I want to talk to to bring in the the Welsh factor. But Robin, I you know, as I, as I know, this could be your mastermind topic, <laughs> and perhaps is. Uh, uh, I'd like to talk to you about the Manics because um, uh, the Manics were we forget now a surprise to for the heavenly sign weren't they yeah i mean uh, at the point a point the point that they got that they were signed the label is broadly a kind of let's say Balearic acid house label you know world gone slide love child it's on but flowered up only love can break your heart and and then second singles by Flowered Up and Senetti, and by the time Motown Junk comes out. And so, by the, you know, when Jeff and Martin are looking to sign them, you know, they're a four-piece band from Wales. And, you know, again, 
Gwen, Gwenna will know this from from growing up. You know, pre pre the Mannix, you know, the Welsh music, apart from you know the kind of stuff that Peel might play. You know, the sort of you know Ankarevin and Am I can't know whether my pronunciation is right. Plucky, Ankarevin, all of that. Yeah. Very underground, welcome Very me. underground, and um, then the rest of it is shaky and the alarm. You know, that's well, <laughs> and it's and so at that point signing not only a Welsh band but also a Welsh punk band is an you know it's a real it's a real roll of the dice. You know, but what that did, I think. You know, and it, it becomes quite obvious. It became quite obvious when writing the book is what that did is it set Heavenly up as a label that could do anything. And so signing, you know, the Rocking Birds after that, well, why not? You know, or putting out a record in Cornish, why not? You know, it, it's if you if you if you can if you take that when that risk was taken within the first six months, and you know, it's famously, you know, I think you know, Alan, Alan McGee turned turned around to Jeff and goes like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Um, you know, signing signing that band. It's like, well, you know, Motown Junk is is one of the great punk rock records, if not you know, one of the great rock records of you know Britain's ever produced. I think um, you know, it's an amazing single, just like a, a propulsion. You know, it just yeah. starts and then whack, and it's you know, it's and that's. But the beautiful thing about about them is that they are you know lovely really really lovely working class boys from well who wanted you know when we asked them to have any kind of involvement in anything since it's always just like yep yeah, because they just they're they're happy and proud to repay the favor that heavenly did by putting them out in the first place you yeah. know it wasn't a favor but you know you know what i mean it's like well you know at that point where they're seen as being a you know why you know what the fuck thing it's like you took a chance on them so it's, I just believed in, we, me and yeah. Martin just believed in them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Gwen, I want to bring you in because of, um, like, about the Mannix, because the Mannix is quite hard to, I, I mean, I got a real sense of it in the book, actually, that you forget that they, because the Mannix now are, they're the Mannix. We all are the Mannix. They were always here, you know? And, and like, to, to, I think what Robin's just articulated really brilliantly is the fact that it was, that they were a fucking surprise. They were like a shock to the system, weren't they? And I think um, the big thing with the Mannix, I've always felt, is that they, there's a fight on their hands. There's this, there's obviously, this is a very obvious thing to say, but it's something that hasn't, gone away we got we were lucky enough to support them and it's there's still that feeling you know before they all go out on stage it's like oh come on you know it's like that energy um and I think that that comes from being from the valleys articulating all of that frustration coming from a very educated working class and very politicized um not having any any way for, for the, that to go, but also just grabbing onto all that glamour, sort of new romantic stuff coming through. And I, I just, um, a very, very, but I think, you know, because obviously they're an, they're an English speaking Welsh band and the, mm. the, the other stuff that John Peel was playing, Antrev and Dutt Bluggy, Malcolm Neon, Chrishella Plastic, we're all sort of Welsh language post-punk stuff. But I, I feel that there is, a correlation between those two scenes, even though they probably weren't too aware of each other. Um, 
and it, yeah, it's just sort of bubbling under the surface, and then they're an unexpected Welshness outside of Wales, even though they're very, they're very um, clearly tapping into something that exists in Wales, and so from a Welsh perspective, I, 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 I think as well. I think as well. You know, you've got to look at where they're from. You know, I'm from I'm from Newport, so I'm just down the road from just down the road from them, and it's like, you know, the valleys are are the other. They are, you know, that I think that's why, you know, they 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 always seem like they're outside of everything. You know, when they got lumped in with Britpop, well, they didn't see, they're not like a Britpop. Band. Yeah, that is always a completely mad. <laughs> it just happens to be that that's the thing you can kind of attach them to at that point. But it's like they're not. You know, listen to you know the you know lyrics on that record. You know, small black flowers or you know on on everything must go. You know, it's like they're not. It's it's. It's not, you know, it's not a nice record. It's not a, you know, it's not roll with it. <laughs> it's, a, you know, it's pretty bleak. <laughs> yeah, bleak is a good one. There's bleak and glamour. It's all, all rolled together, isn't it? And anger. combo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's true. It's why we like, you know, yeah, why some of us move to cities. The bleak glamour. That's what we're looking for. <laughs> so, look, I also feel, and actually it's mentioned in um, one of the questions, um, and indeed Jeff mentioned this to me as though I would ever forget today on email. I feel like we should talk about Weekender. <laughs> Flower, uh, flowered Up's Weekender. Um, and uh, there's an absolutely brilliant section in this book um, about Flowered Up. And uh, Flowered Up are a, a, a mad, completely mad band that signed to Heavenly for a bit, then get signed to this massive deal and then mess it all up and come back to Heavenly. And they come back to Heavenly with Weekender which is, um, I have here from one of the questions, is Ian Saunders, Weekender, the greatest song ever over 12 minutes, question mark, a few question marks. We could just get rid of the question marks. Let's get rid of them. It is the best. Um, I, I'm prepared to get rid of that question mark, yeah. Yeah, they're definitely the best. But there's an absolutely brilliant part of this book, which is just a description of a party. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I enjoyed it so much. It, it really kind of, you know, in these days of non-parties, oh my God, it cheered me up. And yeah. it's essentially that um, that uh, Flowered Up were, uh, was it Barry Moonkull? It's like asked to like decorate yeah. this there amazing a, house and then glazier and he gets the the key so he just gets the keys copied because he's yeah. Barry Moonkull and yeah. he goes mm. and while the people are away he just they just move in and then have this epic party that never stops. Please tell me I would like the blow by blow account of this party, please, because I miss parties. One, Who one wants of, to start? One of the things. One of the, I mean, I wasn't there, so I'm going to just. But one of the things that I, I realise isn't in the book, um, but I think is I think is fact, is that the it was in it was in was it in Greenwich, Jeff? The party. party? It was yeah. in Dulwich Park. It was Dulwich a, Park. a private drive. Yeah, one of the neighbours was... lived there. There you and go. Then what I found the other day, I found a letter from his daughter thanking me for the invitation to the party, saying that um, she'd never been to a party like it before, and uh, she thought she thinks she enjoyed it, and she managed to get back in without her parents realising she'd been to, to said party. I've got the letter. It's brilliant. She was dead nice, actually. I remember it. I think she might have been working for The Sun, and I would do press or something. But... Um, <laughs> I got her in. I, mean, I should have dig that. I'll dig that out. Sorry if I've just outed you, um, Mr. McKenzie. That's brilliant. I love it. I like the yeah. fact that she then sneaked back in again. This is just great. Yeah. I've never. Was, I was never there, Dad. It was on a very, very exclusive road, and the house was owned by a um, um, 
a character who had been a racehorse owner and a, a, a gambling man who had not paid tax or VAT for a long, long, long time, um, was away in his house in Spain when the, uh, the, the revenue people decided to claim his house. And yeah, like you said, Barry went and got the key cut. As you do. What Des told me as well, which made it even funnier, it's hard to get this across in the book, was that the bit, the thing that had to be fixed was like one of those little window panes yeah. that on the side of a door. <laughs> so he got the keys to fix something that small. And the eventual thing is so basically it's like the staircase is taken down, oh, yeah. turns, everything in the swimming pool, you know, they discovered that the guy had all. Uh, it was it was a, it was to do with horse racing. So they found he had all these Ascot day suits. Immediately put them on in the jacuzzi. <laughs> like, you know, found a new use for a revolving bed. I mean, you can just you know imagine that was. They were so naughty. I mean, they really, really were naughty. I mean, they actually went too far sometimes. It must be said, but bloody hell, they were a, they were a laugh to be around. But that said, there was this darkness, which I think I love this chapter that, that in the book. I love, I love it. I think Robin got. I, I love Des, the manager who Robin interviewed. His frankness, his openness. I've never read, um, you know, what could effectively be a junkie sub story, just told with absolutely um, it, just total honesty. We were, we were idiots, you know. And, and 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 I loved it. I find it really moving. It's been a frustrating thing because, you know, they did make a crap album, and they sh you know they shouldn't have gone to London. And Des really should have known that when he was given a quarter of a million pounds, it did include recording costs. There's um, no, no <laughs> in the chat room here. Des <laughs> commenting. Hello, Des. Hello, mate. You're right. <laughs> Terry <laughs> Brampton. Um, you know, <laughs> they went and made Weekender, which is really as, as the other chap. Um, questioned earlier I mean it's not not only is it one of the best songs over 12 minutes it's one of the best songs I mean it's a masterpiece I mean it really it, you know it, it came back it came back to I haunt don't like us. epics but you know I, I'm having that one it came back to haunt us a few years afterwards because um when we were <laughs> I remember when we were running the social at Turnmills on a Saturday night there was there was a time and it was like hang on a minute what the fuck's going on and you realized the venue was flooding and you're like Holy shit! And what? And eventually, got to the end of it, you realise the whole the whole place had to be shut, and a, a, a leak, you know, a, a, a pipe had come off the ceiling. I was like, what the fuck happened there? It was in the upstairs room of Turnmills, which is where we had our second room, and Richard Fearless was DJing, and he was saying, he was like, oh god, it got really mad. I was just playing records, and it was just getting madder and madder and madder. I said, what did you do to calm it down? He said, I put Weekender on. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually about 10 o'clock. We'd only been open for about an hour. And that was Scottish Paul and, and uh, John Minnie swinging off the pipe. Yeah, yeah, they took, they took a mains water, uh, like a main water pipe down. Like. Yeah, just going back to Weekender though, I do, I think, like, I do think that, that's, that that chapter in the book's absolutely really, really great. And uh, you know, I've read a few rock memoirs, but I've never read anybody talk so eloquently and honestly about dark side of some of this shit you know and they were kids, they were working class kids man you know i mean I, I when it all went tits up i was like i'd say to des the manager oh man you know what a drag you know i mean you just got good you know <laughs> he just went from being a blast to being good and he just said to me he with, said fuck off barry who said this was who said this was supposed to last with De what des i mean with, with des was talking about it 
it's quite you know the thing that sort of seems to become quite obvious is that Liam that Liam had kind of I, 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 I don't know whether you could say he'd lost his bottle I think that's one of the things that Des has said actually I think but he you know as, as the band of you know the band are kind of the things are going wrong and this this amazing piece comes out of it but his you know his energy had suddenly his energy was then you know was gone it had dwindled and that was you know I, you know whether you could ever, ever have caught that lightning in a bottle again you know it's just you know what an amazing thing it's like a supernatural yeah. right at the end yeah yeah. It is, yeah. And this is, I mean, and also, obviously, we, I mean, a lot of people are saying in the chat here that um, about uh, Wiz's video for it, which was yeah. um, like it's uh, like described in the book as a kind of a quadrophenia for, but for, but for that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember the launch of that. That was in the that funny circular room, that circular building in uh, just off the park, wasn't it? And um, and uh, and I remember seeing that video like for the first time there and mm. absolutely being completely blown away because it because it did epitomize the whole nature of that yeah of it, that record it, it did sorry to interrupt but the, the, no, the, the track was the track was really magnificent and and and, and they had left heavenly they had gone to london records they hadn't mm. hadn't really worked out but you know they were still my friends des especially and um and and i still I believed in that group, really. You know, I, I was. It was a shame that they had to go, but I, the circumstances and someone giving you a shitload of dough, which we couldn't do. I would never have done anyway. I mean, look what happened. But um, <laughs> but but to get them back was really. It, uh, you, you, in this game, you don't really. If you stop working with a group, you never really take. You never really go back. They either don't want to come back, or you don't want them back, or or you do, but you think I don't want this to go wrong again for whatever reason. But. It never went wrong for us in the first place, so it didn't seem wrong to actually have them back. But they also had that song, that track, and Clive Langer had produced it, and it seemed like things were going to go. And I saw that in pictures, that song. I saw it in pictures, and and I knew Wiz, and and and, and I, I I had an acetate of the tra of the track. In fact, London Records had already pressed the bloody thing, and um, I remember taking Wiz back to my flat, and we had this really great little flat underneath the, one of the guest houses on Shepherd's Bush Road. And it was big and it was a basement and we had big speakers and 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 Wiz dropped me off after a party one night and uh, I said come have a listen to this and put the lights off and put this track on and he just was like holy shit that was it really you know him and me had this vision which was embraced by Des and and therefore the group and 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 also our partner at the time which was Columbia Records and they put the money in um but I'm, I'm probably aware that a lot of people don't know who this group actually are who might be tuning in here, might be watching it, because they did burn so briefly, really. You know, it was bright and it was loud and it was great for, for some of us that were there, but they didn't really leave much of a legacy. But this track is a masterpiece and it is going to come out again next year, as is the film, on DVD for the first time. It, it, it's been digitally remastered and... Um, Martin uh, Kelly, who we mentioned earlier, Martin was my partner at Heavenly for many, many years, and it, it hasn't been for many years now, but he left to set up Heavenly Films with his brother Paul, and they're going to be putting it out on DVD at March next year, and we're going to be putting out the two weekend of 12 inches, which is the original, and then the Andrew Weatherall remixes. They're going to be nice and, the, the, and, and they're sounding amazing. I've just been listening to the newly remastered... Uh, Weatherall remixes and man, they're good. They still sound really good. But that, yeah. that, they are coming in March. So anybody wonders what the hell we're spending all this time talking about this group for? 
find out too. That's completely fine. Um, so look, I mean, I'm very, I'm, I'm aware of time, and there's lots of things that we could talk about, and you know, the heavenly social being one, the fact that that heavenly kind of expanded out into different. There's a particular thing I did want to talk about, and um, and that was Edwin Collins actually, and um, I found the 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 chapter around his release incredibly moving and in, um uh, well on on all sorts of levels really and um one of the things that i very much in, uh, appreciated about it was there was a point um after edwin had had, had his stroke and he wanted to uh, get get the record that he had made before into the state that he wanted it to be and then he was going to play a gig and it was the bbc um electric proms yeah. and um he was incredibly it was a nerve-wracking thing for him and one of the things that, that uh, Grace says about this is that um, that you Jeff and Heavenly as a label took umbrage for her like took some of the pressure off her um, of the idea that he wouldn't be able to do it you could take on this um, take on the umbrage and the battle for her. and this I think is almost like an epitome of what a good record label should do in that situation it's an incredibly difficult situation emotionally physically like it's unbelievably pressurized yeah. and that is what a record label should do is do something for the act in order so that it can flower yeah it's a mixture of feeling it's a mixture of responsibility which it, it undoubtedly is we, we we do have a lot of responsibility to people that that uh, 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 we asked to we convince people to sign to us and therefore if you have you have a responsibility um but, but it's more than just that. It's it, it's like it's the right thing, you know. And 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 what Grace is talking about there was was the right thing. I mean, Martin and I had been privileged um, to we're, we were friends with Edwin really, and we'd you know we'd seen him, we'd seen him be ill. Martin especially had seen him in hospital when he was very 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 poorly, and then we also saw him getting better, and and we saw him getting better. We saw him getting better through music, and we saw. I mean, Grace is an amazing lady. His wife, partner, manager, she's incredible, and her strength was what saw him through. And, and yeah, we backed that up. But you do that. You fight your corner for your artists, and it, 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 the BBC. It was good of them. They did want to. They did want to support Edwin and give him this gig. But then there was reticence from some of the people around. We were through EMI at the time, and it was like. This can only go ahead if he doesn't fuck up. And I'm like, well, why would he even agree to do it if he was going to fuck up? You know, mm. it, it, it was it was quite as simple as that, really. But um, that was that was a very special time for us, actually, watching a, a, um, an artist get their strength back. Um, I mean, yeah, it's a wonderful part of the book. I found it incredibly moving. I have to say, yeah. Well, he started to make that record prior to his stroke, and then his aphasia, and and uh, he, you know he hadn't mixed it. So that record was sat there waiting to be mixed. You know, he 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 had this struggle, this bolt out of the blue, um, boom. What was he'd gone home from the studio one night? He was going back the next day to carry on. You know, um, but through support of friends and um, and, and colleagues and Grace, as, as I said, they finished this record, and 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 we were uh, fortunate enough to, to release that and to work with him and Grace very very closely, and then to make the next record, which was even better to do that you know you know it was just like now you're making something new from scratch oh I mean, this is why i do it yeah. you know what i mean you yeah. know 
it's one of those things where you you know it's it, it's a terrible cliche to think about oh, the healing power of music but that was actually that's actually it you know it's like you know the the, the fact that that you know the, Ed, Edwin's rehabilitation like there were the you know there were goals there were goals which involved kind of being able to grasp aspects of the music and push it forward and push him forward and it's you know you realize how you know how important you know how important music and the you know the, the the nature of it was at that point it's kind of yeah it is it was incredibly moving plus also very funny because grace is a massive piss taker she's brilliant yeah. <laughs> so um Edwin still had his sense of humor yeah yeah it's true i have a couple of questions here from uh people who are watching and um uh and this is one of them it says um i don't know how you're going to answer this there seems to be a common thread between the heavenly artists through the years. What do the panel think that thread is? No, I'm going to leave an artist to answer that one. I, the thing I've been thinking a lot about is community, because I think that um, when things have evolved, because heavenly has evolved so much over the years, um, and particularly when I came in, it was almost like um, a centre for a lot of other communities that were happening across the UK as well. So you had, you know, Stealing Sheep and Hooting Tennis Club coming in from Liverpool. You had yeah. Toy and Witches coming from London and then you had us coming from Wales, H. Hawkline. And, but it, it's, it's like Heavenly is tapping into other communities. And the other thing I thought about, and it was when I was um, following the Tim's Twitter listening party the other night, yeah. was how important I feel that a common thread is also music to be shared in a space with other people. And obviously- Oh, you're gonna make me cry. <laughs> no, but it's true, but I think it's an obvious thing to say, but that's not an identity that all labels have because I think each, every label has a really special identity. And I think it's this sense of communal sharing of music, which is, is, is rarer than we think because yeah. it ties into this idea of community and it's about being in that room because when I was all those records a lot of them were a soundtrack to my growing up or dancing or whatever you know that it's they, they were just there you know at different points in my life and I just we thought, never dancing then huh we've never stopped dancing that's the thing exactly that's the thing so it's always it's a, it's a very common shared experience and joyful and that, I mean, that's that's the common thread that I saw between all these different genres and all these different artists. So that would be my answer. Yeah, that's that is an amazing answer. I love that idea also of local communities because I think we're all, always encouraged to know that we're a part of a global community and blah 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 blah, yeah. and that's great. But like, but the, the idea that something can be rooted in its in where it is where yeah. it is from and that can become a universal thing that's more important to me that idea that you go you go to a, a, a smaller community to find something uh, that special thing and then take it out is an amazing thing uh, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, do also, we do like parties you can't you can't underestimate that <laughs> yeah. we do like parties and we and we're not london centric you know we do that's go all, out and yeah. about you know. We go to Hebden Bridge regularly. Manchester's always been a regular haunt anyway, and uh, and the second home. And um, and Jane, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry, I've forgotten what the witchy goth thing was I was supposed to say, but hello. Anyway, um, <laughs> pardon the digression. Um, so, you know, that thing, and again, that communal aspect of actually meeting people that like buy your records and hear your records, and whether that's us as a label, people coming up, I, you know, I, I, I thank you for turning me on to Gwenno, or thank you for turning me on to hawk line or whatever it might be you know it's nice it's good it's good you know, I, 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 
uh, you know, I remember wishing I had the balls to do that to other people in the, in the room. So, you, the, yeah, there's no barriers. There's no bullshit. You know, it's uh, it, 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 it really is, you know, we care that people care. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've there's got a good group. So I don't know, like, you know, you can sound, you know, there's, there's no sound thread. It's a, yeah. it's, it's taste and it's community. It's taste and feeling, you know. It's also, yeah, feeling. That's interesting. Yeah. Feeling. It's also, it's also, and, and this, this is going to sound pretty, uh, pretty terrible. It's also the ability to know that you can kind of have a drink with someone. That's, you know, I'm showing my interests there, but um, it's, it's definitely, you know, if, if you can't have that sociable aspect with, with artists or with managers of artists or with, you know, it's 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 it makes things a lot harder. You know, if you've got people and you know, then it's just a kind of you know, it's just a business transaction. Um, I remember meeting. I remember Jeff and I went to meet. Um, we we went to to see the White Stripes in the Social in Nottingham, and um, and we had a beer while we sat down. And they were unsigned at that point. Um, and we had a beer where we sat down and talked to Jack White and then we had another beer and his drink still had <laughs> the top, just the top taken off a pint of Guinness. And, and he, he, and afterwards, the friend of the, Chloe, who used to work for Heavenly years ago, was, had moved to the States and became the White Stripes press officer. And she was like, oh yeah, Jack said he met you. Yeah, yeah, he said, his, his words were, those guys like a drink. He was like... What? what just, we had a fucking beard in a social situation where you're trying to sort of you're trying to melt the ice in some way, and he he doesn't like a drink. Fuck off. <laughs> um, but anyway, so, so look, I've got other another couple of questions really quickly. Which is um one is um any acts that you wanted to sign but couldn't. Oh, the white stripes. <clears throat> uh huh. <laughs> I don't know. That's a sad thing to think about. I, I don't want to think about that. Um, well, don't then. Well, if you don't yeah, want it, it's are, fine. There are some. I mean, there have been a few. I mean, not many. I mean, we're quite the way we operate a lot of the time. If you look at the groups that we have signed, they're not really they've not really been hype groups. It's not like we go chasing around for bands. You know what I mean? It's not like we do not get, you know, as much as I love the music. I used to love the music. Press, I don't I don't follow what they say as being how to find a group, you know. Well, Gweno and I, I was lucky enough to meet Gweno because of a recommendation by Toy, you know, one of our groups at the time, who said, you should listen to our friend's music. And a lot of things do happen like that. Um, who would we have liked to have signed? Well, yeah, I mean, the White Stripes, Robin actually brought that into the office quite some time before I actually paid proper attention. And by then he'd already told everybody else um, because <laughs> he bored away to me to actually respond. And I had to play catch up and I failed, um, uh, came second failed um recently we wanted to sign uh Amelin the sniffers actually we would like we, we like them and um and uh Jeanette Lee at rough trade pipped us to the post and that's understandable you know when you're uh we, i've never been on the cover of a public image album you know <laughs> yeah. you can do about that right and, and yeah. of course Jeanette and Jeff are brilliant, and the label's brilliant. So you know, swings and roundabouts. Um, I, 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 I'm going to finish the call and go. Shit, I should have said about that one, but I didn't. I'd rather you know talk about the people that we did. Yeah, I want to, uh, and we do work with. Yeah, um, there's also just something towards um, here that which I just I thought we should we should mention this actually, which is caught by the river. We've got a really nice 
thing here, which says, um, hello all, just wanted to say thank you for Caught by the River also, um, your, um, your sister company, as a Mancunian artist with past life in Todbergen, you have captured a thread of artists that needed sewing together, and thanks for, for stealing sheep. I, I do think that's quite interesting, that, 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 that Caught by the River is a, it's heavenly, but not heavenly, it's got, it, there's a feel of heavenly, but it's, you know, somewhere else in a festival somewhere over here. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, you know, it's the same people, but I mean, it was born out of, uh, it was born out of, uh, um, how was it born? I mean, it, it was born out of downtime, caught by the, it was caught by the river as a blog, was born out of heavenly downtime. And it was born out of necessity because I can't, we were in an enforced situation where we couldn't operate without going into it in detail because the detail is absolutely boring. Um, but, you know, we had time on our hands and I, I'm not very good with time on my hands. I can't do time on my hands. I, I, I have to be busy. And um, and so, you know, I busied myself by going fishing with Andrew, who's been working heavily with me for 25 years. And that fishing, you know, Andrew said to me one day, we should start a fishing website. And I was like, I cannot think of anything more boring. Why did you even think that? And he said, because because we went out at the weekend and I've now got a list of records to listen to, which is this long, films to watch, which is this long, books to read, which is even longer. That sort of fishing website. Okay. Oh, like a fanzine. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, Robin, Robin, shouted across the office. Robin, you know how to do fanzines. Let's do a fanzine. How do we do a blog fanzine thing? And that's what it was. It was a way of filling time, crapping on about what we were into, which at that time, it, you know, this enforced um, slowdown, it, it meant I was actually spending more time outdoors um, uh, than in pubs, clubs, bars, studios, and um, and getting to be not at one with nature, but spending a little bit more time with it. And, and it influenced and inspired my reading, which is kind of, anyway, that's kind of what Corbett River became. You know, it, it, again, just our enthusiasms and us crapping on and sharing what we were digging, you know. Yeah, yeah, it was funded by EMI. Yeah. They, didn't, they didn't know it. You know, they was, <laughs> you know, we were basically, you know, when EMI was bought by, you know, that Austin Powers guy who bought it, he, it was, um, you know, it was, it was, you know, they put us, it was on the equivalent of gardening leave. And so you can't sign anything. What are you going to do? And that's, that's where it, it kind of grew out of, you know, it was, it's, what, what do you do with your time? You know, you've got this brilliant office and it's and this community of people who are passing through it and all the stuff. But, you know, there was a point, maybe 18 months or at least a year where it was hard to put records out. It was hard to get and it was hard to, you know, it, it was also hard to see an end of it as well. We were stuck in this, but being stuck in kind of quicksand. Um, it, 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 had, um, it, it did start to share similarities, though, uh, Randy, yeah. I think, because you know, we were discovering new writers in the same way as we were discovering um, new music. Uh, yeah. And we were giving a platform to new writers, whether that was, you know, the book that was we were reviewing was by a new writer or whether we were giving a new writer the chance to review a book. It became that. Um, and in the case of certain people like Amy Liptrop, for example, we were listening to her demos, you know, way before um, she made the Outrun as a debut album, you know, yeah. so... There are similarities and again community you know we are not just we were never ever going to just live online you know when poor elliot came along and said would you like to do a favorite stage at our festival because we love what you do on your blog um well we said yes 
you know, and 10 years later when they said this is the last festival, we cried, you know. Yeah, um, I know, and, me too, and my daughter. Yeah, and, and, and you know what? One of those weird things about this year, that, that you know, one, of the, one of the rare upsides of this year is the fact that we couldn't mourn it um, because we couldn't have been there anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, there would have been this weekend where we would have gone, we should have been at Port Elliot, but we couldn't have been at Port Elliot. <laughs> but the worst thing is, next year we're going to go, ah! <laughs> yeah. We're going to have to kickstart it somehow. So look, I'm, 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 I am aware of time, and I just wanted to ask you before we go, this is, a, I mean, we've got lots of things in the in the chat just saying how much people absolutely... I mean, it's almost like no, like not questions. It's just saying, I really love this book. I, you know, I've got one here. So how much I enjoyed reading the book. I couldn't put it down. The narrative flowed through all the chapters. Format. This is someone else. The format of the book is the best I've read for years. So you know, it's a great book. It is really brilliant. I just wanted to ask each of you, and it doesn't have to be in the book, but a kind of particular favourite moment. You know, it's, I mean, I know it's a, it's a cliche, but it's a nice thing to think about, I always think. You know, in these times when we're not always together and, um, you know, we're waving at each other across virtual screens. It's nice to think of nice moments, heavenly moments. Who would like to go first? Give me a favourite heavenly moment. I'll go first. Okay, my favourite heavenly moment, I, I, was, I was thinking about this earlier, um, and mine was being on stage at Reading Festival, on the second stage of Reading and the Vines were playing and it was the year where they went, where their trajectory just went like that. And they'd done Glastonbury and they'd gone from, you know, playing 70 capacity clubs to, to going, to selling out London shows to bigger, to going up. And then a week before the album came out, they were, they were the band of Glastonbury. I found the old enemy the other day and it was like, you know, they were, they were hailed as being the best band at the festival. And then so Reading was the point where it was, um, you know, they could, it was, you know, it was, a, it was a real point where, where people would see them for the first time. And, and I just remember being on stage and the gig was so fucking phenomenal. And I was hugging their manager, Andy, who's a really, you know, he, he like the community. He, first time I met him, you know, ever since then, he's been one of my best mates. He's brilliant. And I was hugging him and I was thinking, I was just going, we're going to be headlining next year. It's going to be fucking amazing. You know, because I remember that year when Nirvana did two or three in the afternoon and the next year they headlined. I was watching it going, that's us. This is it. We made it. Of course, that didn't happen. <laughs> you know? When you sign somebody who, you know, who's undiagnosed Asperger's, who smokes so much weed, so much weed that you, that he's, you know, it just obviously was never going to happen. But for that moment, I just remember thinking, this is it. Um, yeah. And I, I've clung on to that moment. <laughs> yes. Well, quite right. It is a fantastic moment to have, I have to say. Yeah. Uh, Gweno, what about you? I think it's, you know, it's gigs in general, caught by, caught by the river gigs, um, Heaven Bridge gigs. I mean, that's the thing, because it's the chance really you get to see everybody else, because everyone's playing. Um, Port Elliot, I mean, I really miss Port Elliot. Mm. I think it's got to come back. Mm. It's yeah. the best festival. We, I, mean, I remember the first year we did it, I was pregnant. Let's do something new. Uh, it really, and I, we we came back the next day because we just couldn't believe what a, a utopia it was. It was yeah. just ridiculous. But I, I think it's those memories, really. It's it's when 
all the heavenly artists play on the same line there and then Andrew Weatherall's DJ you know it's all it's those memories I think that just matter. yeah yeah that's true okay and what about you Jeff Oh, well, yeah, there have been amazing moments. You know, those, those communal sharing things are, are, are really good. I have good memories of, I, I mentioned Martin Kelly uh, several times earlier on, and, and, you know, Martin and I were inseparable um, for, for a long, 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 long time. And, uh, you know, that bump in the road that, that gave us caught by the river also took some casualties in the company and, 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 and made us, uh struggle for a wee while there uh it wasn't great for a bit and uh, our partnership suffered um because of that but i say suffered martin went on and started heavenly films i could say which is a great thing so i think what i'm going to say is my memory and uh, for me is 19 it goes back to 1987 and what i talked about at the start of the book this interview about what happened how the heavenly started that was what the, i wanted to get across in that interview i was trying to people come to me sometimes saying how did you start a record label well i don't know you know but i just thought that if i was going to try and answer that question once and for all and i haven't have i really i mean it was um was to talk about how i started that record label you know what i mean but i couldn't have started it without martin and i met martin in 1987 and um uh, I was putting groups on at a pub in Camden called the Black Horse, and we put on some good groups. We did early Mondays gigs, and we did Felt and House of Love, stuff like that. But one guy came up to me one night and said to me, you've got to wear this group from Iwickham. They're called Episode 4. I was like, terrible name. He said, really good group. And I was going, give me the demo. The following week, he turned up with a cassette, and it, this cassette looked great. It was brilliant. The cover was designed by Paul Kelly, the designer of our book, who was the guitarist and one of the singers in the group. And... Inside this cassette was uh, an address to a telephone number. Anyway, I, we, we, we put, had a gig that night, got back to my flat, me and my girlfriend and, and her friend, put this cassette on and played it and played it and played it and stayed up all night until we felt there was a time we could ring this number. I get, you know, the, 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 what time? Nine o'clock, okay. And we rang this number. Can I speak to somebody from episode four? And the week after they played at, at, um, at the pub and there were, that was when I first met Martin. And, 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 and one of the reasons we've lasted so long is because of friendship, you know, and support. And yeah. that's something that I've been very, very, very lucky to have um, all through it. I've been lucky to have friends around me and the support that people have given to Heavenly, not just me, but to the cause has been um, really remarkable. And, um, and incredibly special. So they would, without my friends, and especially that one in particular, there wouldn't be a book. There wouldn't be a story. Yeah. Yeah. What a lovely way to, to finish. That's a very beautiful speech. And I have to say, I really, really love this book. And if you haven't got it, obviously go and get it, you nanas. Why would you not get it? But um, it's a beautiful piece of work to a wonderful, it's a tribute to a wonderful label, some fantastic artists, beautiful people that, that work there, amazing photos, lovely writing. And yeah. I'd like to say thank you to everybody for um, coming along and asking and, and asking questions. And a really lovely thanks to fantastic panel, to Gweno and Robin and Jeff. I love you all. I hope to see you in a field sometime soon. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Miranda. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.